sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. It seems as though a very important topic for us these days is our worldview of politics, and especially a Christian worldview of politics, at least for those of us who are Christians. There's so many different ideas about how Christians should vote, what we should prioritize, but we want to take a step back, and I've asked my friend Ty Gibson, who is a pastor of the Storyline Church in Eugene, Oregon, and president of Light Bears, an international media ministry. You can find Ty on lightbears.org or storyline.church. Ty, thanks for joining me on Freedom's Ring today. Yeah, thanks, Alan. So, a Christian worldview or a biblical worldview of politics. Mm-hmm. What is that? Well, I would say that it's an orientation toward what I'll refer to as living without harm, without the infliction of harm. So from a Christian standpoint, politics can't merely be a zero-sum game in which the goal is to amass power. Right. Yeah. So, for example, in, in Romans chapter 13 and verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, love does no harm to the neighbor. Okay, so that's the orientation of a Christian philosophy of politics, is to minimize harm. Now, we live in a crazy world with all kinds of variables and factors and counterfactors, and so you could look at any given political party, and you would have to assess the policies of that political party or candidate from the standpoint of how or which party or which candidate would minimize harm to my neighbor, to my fellow human being. So that would be the most simple and basic way of approaching a Christian worldview of politics, in my view. Well, you know, that begs the question which Jesus addressed in the parable of the Good Samaritan, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? That's right. Right? Yeah. So are we just, you know, trying to make sure that folks who are like us, who believe like us or worship like us or, you know, whether it's our, you know, however we define our group, Mm -hmm. that we're going to look out for us or we're going to look out for them? Yeah, from the Christian worldview standpoint. Now, when I use the word Christian now, I'm speaking of what I would refer to as the Christian perspective as it occurs in Christ. Not necessarily, you know, the American version of Christianity that is popular right now. I mean, anybody can appropriate a name or a label and, you know, lay claim to the name Christian and say, you know, right now we have the Democratic Party would say, hey, we're all Christians. I mean, at least, you know, Joe Biden would say he's a Christian and uh, everybody pretty much in his party that would run for office would lay claim to the Christian name. In the last presidential election, Hillary Clinton said, yeah, I'm a Christian. Donald Trump, believe it or not, says he's a Christian uh, on the Republican end of the spectrum. So everybody's a Christian. 
But when I use the word Christian, I'm speaking of Christianity as it occurs in the person of Christ. And when Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan, it was an extremely subversive story. (laughs) You know, that's an understatement. Yeah. He basically made the hero of his story the ultimate other, right? So he's telling his story to a Jewish audience, and the hero of the story is a Samaritan. Right. <laughs> so it's just incredible what Jesus was doing there. He was essentially saying that your neighbor is essentially every other, every other human being. And you might even say that Jesus was saying that if you really want to have the proper orientation, you need to look to the farthest outreaches of the other. Well, and that's what he taught in the parable of the final judgment in Matthew 25. Exactly. Because he defines the outreaches of the other as those that we regard as the least. Mm-hmm. He says, in as much as you've done it to the least, right? That's right. That's right. I was preaching this passage when I had one of those Holy Spirit moments, and I asked the question, why does Jesus refer to people as the least? Because Jesus doesn't look down on anybody. No. You know, no. He, do, he does that for our sake. Yeah and, yeah. and what I found in going to different churches and different cultures is it doesn't matter where you are in the socioeconomic standpoint, what some people may think of as the lowest rung. Mm. There's somebody that you regard as the least. Exactly. You know, yeah. we all have our biases. We all have, you know, some type of person or group of people that we think we're better than. Mm -hmm. It's just part of the, you know, fallen human condition. Yeah. So a Christian political philosophy would actually engage in what we might call an intentional discipline of locating the most disadvantaged in the society and then putting your or my empathy and policy voting power in the direction of those in the least of these positions, the most disadvantaged position. So a Christian would say, hey, I'm not looking out for my own interest, but I need to find what is the most good that can be done for those who are most disadvantaged. So, you know, Ty, you start sounding like you might be more leaning towards a, a kind of a liberal social agenda. And so I want to make an observation here for our listeners, who I presume are across the spectrum, Protestant, Catholic, and, you know, all kinds of things. Um, I've been doing legislative for more than a quarter of a century here in California. And what I find is that the Catholic legislative agenda combines the traditional sort of conservative social issues, you know, pro-life and and pro-family kinds of issues, but also very strong emphasis on poverty issues Mm -hmm. and, you know, concern for the poor and for immigration issues and such. So the Catholic legislative approach really cannot be pigeonholed as liberal or conservative, Mm -hmm. whereas the Protestant emphasis has really been on what we identify as social conservative, right? Right. So, you know, I just want to, for our listeners, remind them that an emphasis on caring for everyone is not, you know, necessarily 
aligning with one party or the other. It's not necessarily partisan. For me, position. it certainly doesn't. Yeah, for me, it doesn't. If somebody asks me, and people do, hey, Ty, are you a conservative or a liberal? My answer to that question is yes. <laughs> yes, yes, I am. I, I was going to answer am, no, but anyway, <laughs> either way, it's about the same difference, right? You but, know, it depends on what issue we're talking about. I think that in order to truly be... Um, a Christian in your political orientation, you would be obligated to assess issues without accepting everything that you find in one party as one solid, seamless portfolio of political ideas. I find things on the left that I resonate with because I see them reflected in Jesus and the Hebrew prophets. I find things in on the conservative end of the spectrum that I identify with and resonate with because I find them in Jesus and in the Hebrew prophets. So let me kind of push this issue of doing no harm to your neighbor. Mm -hmm. Can we connect that with the doctrine of creation? Yes. And the fact that human beings, regardless of what they look like or where they come from, are all created in the image of God. Exactly. That's right. Push that out a little bit. So from the biblical standpoint, there is an inherent egalitarianism of value. So, you know, people have different aptitudes. People have different levels of talent with regards to any given thing. I like what Einstein said at one point in his career. He said, everybody's a genius. But if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, <laughs> it will consider itself to be a moron. You know, so everybody has value in a democratic system. This is also the genius of Plato's political view in my perspective. Plato basically said that the real value of freedom is that freedom produces novelty creativity, production. You know, we're here talking on freedom's ring. The highest value that can be derived in human relationships is derived from freedom. Freedom allows for people to be who they are. And so you have, you know, if you go back and look at the Soviet Union in the communist era, and I visited there, Everything was the same, every building the same color, every apartment laid out the same, everybody's driving the same car, they have a car, eating the same thing. So a restriction of liberty tends to lack creativity and create uniformity. But freedom and liberty creates diversity in a beautiful and healthy way. And so from my standpoint, from my perspective, it seems to me that the most basic value that we need to operate on as human beings in general, but Christians in particular, is a egalitarianism of value. All are created in the image of God. All are equal in value before God. And everybody brings to the table, it's kind of like Paul's body of Christ metaphor. You know, he essentially says that every member of the human body has its function. And even the more private and unsightly members of the body have vital functions, you know? So everybody is of equal value. And if we get that embedded in our thinking, 
then we can't subscribe to a political philosophy that would diminish anybody. So, you know, listening to you, Ty, it strikes me that if we have a Christian worldview, this concept of freedom unleashing creativity and dare to use a loaded word, diversity, that yeah. we're all unique and different, then instead of being polarized mm. or contributing to polarization, right. Christians should be celebrating the fact that people have very different views of things exactly, and different perspectives. I don't know how many times I've had to you know, remind my Facebook friends that you can disagree without being disagreeable exactly. and that you're not allowed to insult me on my yeah, own yeah. Facebook page. Yeah, yeah. You know, but things have gotten out of hand in this country. Oh, completely out of hand. Listen, Alan, if you and I are exactly the same, one of us is unnecessary. <laughs> Ty, I love you dearly, but I don't want to be you. I don't want to be like you. I'm happy <laughs> being you. me. <laughs> You know, I think the, yeah. the trick of life is learning to be comfortable in your own skin, you know, mm -hmm. just being That's able right. to accept yourself. But there's a natural intellectual laziness that we're all inclined toward, and that's labeling, you know. As Kierkegaard said, if you label me, you negate me. You don't have to deal with me if you can say, oh, he's a conservative. Well, then I'm in a box. You've labeled me. You've defined me. And now you can shut down and not listen to what I might be able to contribute. Or, oh, he's a liberal. Well, now I've negated you. I don't have to. But if I say, hey, you are a complex mixture of ideas, obviously, because you're a human being. Let's talk. Well, and I we're going to leave it with our listeners with that. Let's not put people in boxes. Let's not dismiss them because they have different political values, for example. Um, let's be like Jesus. Jesus was inclusive. He died for everybody. Everybody. And finds worth in everyone. Our guest today, Ty Gibson, president of Light Bearers Ministry. Ty, thank you for being with us on Freedom's Ring. Thank you, Alan. It was enjoyable. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week. Keep freedom ringing.